This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I've got another special guest on the podcast for you. His name is Justin Whitmill Early. So he is a writer, speaker, lawyer, and the founder of The Common Rule, which is an online resource center for Christians seeking kingdom-formed habits that can sustain them in an age of chaos. So he's helping a lot of people around the globe that are trying to deal with the age that we're currently living in. So he wrote a best-selling book of the same name called The Common Rule, but he's also the author of a new book, which is out, if you're listening to this on time, as of today. It's on Zondervan. It's called Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday family rhythms. And guys, I just got to tell you, to all the fathers listening to this podcast, and I would assume that most of you are fathers, you have to listen to this episode. Okay. There's lots of practical advice. Cause here's the thing in the the Christian kind of family book space, there's a bunch of squishy books that don't really lead anywhere and don't give you anything tangible that you can really bite into and change. He's helped me a lot because some of this stuff is a little bit beyond me at this moment because I have a one and a half year old and then I've got, you know, another baby on the way in March and he's got four boys between the ages of three and nine. But he talks about some very, very practical ways to make what you're doing and forming inside your household, whether that be with you, your children, or the entire family to make it gospel-centered and biblically-centered. Guys, I really, really enjoyed the book, and I really enjoyed the conversation as well, and I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Justin Whitmill Early, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you, Kyle. Hey, I'm so glad to have you here, and we're going to talk about your newest book. That's uh, If you're listening to this on time, guys, it is out right now. We're going to definitely get into that and another book that you've written recently. But it seems like you're the type of guy that likes organizing and likes things being in their proper order and having a plan for, for life and those types of things. Is that something that you come by naturally or is that something that you've kind of developed as you've grown up? Absolutely not. It was totally unnatural. If you would have met me in my early 20s when I was walking around China as a missionary, um, I was a total, I still am, but like I looked like it then, like long hair, total creative, thought I was going to write the next great American novel wandering between my missions work and the local pub to, to do some writing. Uh, this was before I was a corporate lawyer, before I was an author of non, nonfiction Christian. So this did not come naturally at all. It is a practiced thing for me, but it's really, it's really balanced out the rest of my life. Well, hey, part of that comes from the fact that, you know, having re read your books and spent some time in there, it you felt like a guy that's been doing this his entire life. Like you had all your toys in their exact segments growing up. And so that's interesting yeah. to kind of hear that you've had a wayward path, a circuitous path to get to where you are. But in, in interest of time, I do want to get into the first book, at least the first book that I know of that yeah. you wrote called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. Every time I have an author on here, I always like to hear them describe their book kind of in a SparkNotes format in their own words. So why did you write The Common Rule and what's it about? The SparkNotes version of The Common Rule is that your habits form you. They change who you are spiritually, emotionally, mentally, everything else. How did I come to write it is actually a continuation of the story that I just said. So I was a missionary in China 
And then I felt called by the Lord to actually come back to the States and work missionally within law and business, which is like a whole nother talk on the meaning of calling. But suffice it to say, I was a man on a call and I ran so hard at law school in my, as I told you, just like disorganized and just like do it all pattern that I worked myself into an awful anxiety crash. I mean, a real like dark space bottom out my first year of lawyering. So it took a couple years, but I had totally assimilated to all the habits and practices of a top law school student. What I didn't realize is that these things were changing me. So in my first year of practicing law, I had such a bad anxiety crash that I was, I was not able to sleep unless I um, uh, drank bourbon or opened a bottle of pills. So I got to a really bad place and I had to wrestle with the question, how did the missionary become converted to the nervous medicating lawyer in such short order? And I, and a long dark year, but I figured out eventually it was by habit. And that's what got me on to talking and thinking about habits. When I think the thing that happens with your, your habits discussion is you don't just say habits are good and leave it there. You give us some sort of pragmatic ways to go through with that. So in that book, you have four daily habits that you suggest and four weekly habits. So the daily habits are kneeling prayer three times a day, one meal with others, one hour with phone off and scripture before phone. And then your right. weekly habits is one hour of conversation with a friend, curate media to four hours, fast from something for 24 hours, and then a Sabbath. And so I want you to kind of have spend whatever time you want to spend on whatever one of those things that you want to discuss, because we're going to get into your latest book here in just a second. So I want right. to make sure we have a lot of time for that. But is there something in there that is maybe especially difficult for, for some people to add to their life, one of those daily habits or weekly habits, or give us some, some overall ideas on why you chose those? I chose these because I think they're examples of keystone habits. Keystone habits are small habits that change a lot of other big things. And so what, when I think about habits, the important thing that I want people to realize is that you can't not have habits. So like, do you live a life of habit? Yes. The answer is always yes. The question is what kind? And so my big message in the common rule to people is you need to examine the habits you have because they are forming you in ways you don't know. So I would just say my scripture before phone habit is a great paradigm example for this. I did not realize that during my first year of lawyering, my habit that I had unconsciously adopted of checking my email first thing when my eyes opened every morning and looking at what I was working with the London office at the time, looking at what, what London wanted because they were half a day ahead of me. I, I didn't think that was any sort of um, pattern of worship of other men and their approval of me. I never would have thought that. But as it happened, when I looked at that first thing every day, I kept thinking, what do the partners in the London office think of me? What do they want of me? What do I need to do today to make them happy? And when I started the habit of scripture before phone, I didn't realize at the time, but I was unconsciously substituting a totally different pattern of worship. And that was looking at the word of God and saying, oh, I am justified and loved regardless of what happens today, regardless of what I do today. And that really, that small keystone habit changed the way that I went out into work. It was the difference between going out into work to earn my love or going out into work because I'm loved and so I can love other people. And there are habits like this everywhere in your life. And that's what I try to show people in the four daily and four weekly habits of the common rule. Well, I think that's important. And I've talked about this a lot on my show is like, I don't typically enjoy self-helpy type stuff or squishy books, the books that are just kind of, oh yeah, I got the high point and kind of move on. But this book right. I feel like was chock full of like, 
little reminders that had potentially explosive impact. So even as of this morning, I was like, okay, I'm talking to Justin today. He's probably going to ask me if I looked at uh, scripture before I looked at anything else on my phone. <laughs> and I did, I did today because I, I, read a section of the, go, I read a section of the Sermon on the Mount and because I want to get in and see what happened overnight with social media. I want to see what happened with my notification stuff on the podcast, right. business dealings in the email inbox. So I definitely appreciated that as just kind of a little reminder. So you're already nagging me. We're not even friends yet. And you're already in the back of my head. Just yeah, I'm in don't your do head. this. Don't do it. I love you're it. You're in my head. In it's head. fine. Uh, a lot of my guys have Jocko in their head, telling them to wake up at four o'clock and do pull-ups. But right now, it's Justin. So, uh, but there I do want to kind of see how that transitions from the common rule into habits of the household. That's the new book, guys. That is out this week. You can check that out in the show notes, and I've got the the link for the common rule as well. But it's practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. And so, again, just like with the previous book, in your own words, what is this book about, and why'd you write it? This book is a follow-up in some way to the common rule for parents. So I just summarized the common rule as you become your habits and your habits form you, right? This book adds the idea, you become your habits and your kids become you. So your habits and the habits, especially as a father, as a parent, the habits that you set in your household, because everybody's watching you, everybody's following you, whether you know it or not, everybody's you know dancing to the beat that you set. Those habits are forming your children spiritually, probably far more than that awesome piece of advice you know you thought you dropped at dinner, or or that one important conversation that happened with your son or your daughter after that tough event. Those are important times, but my claim in this book is that the most important times are the mundane, daily, everyday rituals that you don't actually realize you're going for. They're they're incredibly spiritual. They're incredibly formative, and they're changing how you and your kids see and understand who God is. And I, I want parents to have the joy of waking up to that because it's not a burden. It's actually thrilling to realize these little things matter as much as they do. Well, I think it's important as well. A lot of times when you read, you know, the typical family Christian book or whatever, it's like, okay, I think I know what's going to happen here. It's all about formation of the children. Like here are the habits that you give to your children. Here's the things that you have them do. So they don't end up, you know, becoming a rapist or a murderer. But like, I feel like people forget about the parent side of the equation. They forget yes, about their yes. own formation. And that's the one thing I felt like was unique about your book. Cause I, again, I've, I've had to kind of trudge my way through some other books that were in the space, but it's not just about keeping the kids from burning the house down. It's about the formation of everyone in the family and it doesn't just center on the kids. So I felt like that was interesting. But one thing at the very beginning of your book that you talked about is you talked about gospel liturgies. So yes. that is not something that's common vernacular for, right. for most people, not just my right. audience. So if you would give us an idea of what gospel liturgies are. All right. Here's the story of how I got there and I think it'll explain it. I'll try to keep it short. All my books so far come out of moments of crisis. This one was a crisis at bedtime. Okay. So I, I have four boys. And I had three at the time when this book hit, when this book came to me. And it was because bedtime is, is ridiculous. You know, it's like there are kids trying to bash each other with board books. There is, <laughs> there is water all over the bathroom floor and dripping into the hallway. And one night when all this is happening, I remember, you know, I just do what I usually do. And that is just start turning into an insane person and, and yelling at the boys and being like, describing the bodily harm I am going to inflict upon them <laughs> if they don't get their PJs on right now. Right. Right? So this is, this is normal. And I remember when I shut the door that night, that's exactly what my realization was. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait, this is my normal. 
they misbehave. I start raging and yelling. It's really weird when I say a bedtime prayer because there's just this dissonance in the air, right? So this the last book came out of my anxiety crash. This one actually came out of the realization of my, of my anger and volume and sort of impatience with the children around the house. And I was talking to my pastor the next couple of days and talking just talking about like, I really need to think better about the tone that I'm setting around the house. And he gave me this um, bedtime liturgy idea that he did with his sons. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. But I decided to write my own to try to just, I was desperate for anything to help bedtime go, go better. And so I wrote this series of questions that I decided I would start doing with my boys at bedtime. And, and I'll go through them real quick. All the answers are yes until the end when they say the Sunday school answer. And, and so I look at them and I say, hey, can you see my eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, can, I, can you see that I see your eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you? They say, yes. I say, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? They say, yes. Then I say, you know, I love you no matter what good things you do too. And they say, yes. Then I finish with who else loves you like that? And they say, God does. Now, the first time I did this with him, you Awkward. can imagine it went horribly. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. like they, all the eye talk, they started poking my eyes. They started poking each other's eyes. They were like, what is this? I forgot the questions I was going to ask. They didn't know the right answers. But, but the first point I would make about habits of the household is that nothing is a habit until it is. You know, every routine first was introduced first as like, oh, that's awkward. So the first time you yelled at your kids, you're probably like, oh, that's kind of much. And then after years of it, you're like, yeah, this is just what our household sounds like. So a good parent works at their habits. They're not afraid to introduce a new one. And I knew that much from writing my last book. So I kept practicing. And then we had this amazing night where it was still bathwater on the floor. There was still naked wrestling matches in the hallway. There was still board books being bashed over each other's head. But when they were in bed, one of my sons was like, can we have our bedtime blessing now? And we went through this exchange of God's unconditional love for us. And the circumstances were all the same. I was really different that night because I was moving now towards a moment where we exchanged some intentional words about God's unconditional love for us. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is the power of a gospel liturgy or a good parenting habit. Good, good habits can function as liturgies of worship in the house that lead us to realize the most important thing we're doing in this house is, is learning that God loves us no matter what good things we do, no matter what bad things we, we do, and that we can love each other like that. Even when we're bashing each other with board books and I'm yelling, we can forgive, we can live in those patterns of unconditional love. And that's, that's what a gospel liturgy is. And then I started looking for them everywhere. And that's what the book is about. And I think that's important for guys because, again, we don't think in terms of rhythms. That's why I like how you even included that in the subtitle of the book is like, yeah. you know, rhythms are not really something we're looking for. We're looking for the outcome. And the outcome is if you don't get in bed, I'm going to burn the entire house down with me inside it. And I'm like, you know, it's just that you get that moment of just sheer panicked terror, anger. And that's where a lot of parents get to. And like yes. for my wife and I, like we have a one and a half year old and we have one on the way. And so we haven't quite gotten to some of those crazy moments. And so it's good to kind of think about those habits. And, and you do find 10 different habits of the household. And those mm -hmm. are waking, mealtimes, discipline, screen time, family devotions, marriage, work, play, conversation, and bedtime. And guys, we're not going to be able to get all into all of them here in the episode. You've got to get this book for yourself so you can go through all of them. But I did want to specifically ask you, because everyone's going to have a little bit of a, of a different one that, that they think is going to be an issue or that is an issue for their household. But I wanted to start with mealtime. So I want to read a quote yeah, from the book yeah. and then get you to kind of follow up on it. So you say, for the family, seeing the role of food in the story of God means that we see food in terms of its end goal, relationship. That means that the family that wants to become friends needs to take rhythms of food and conversation seriously. 
So you talk about that in that chapter, but you also talk about something that's just been surrounding me as of late for whatever reason, but the difference between hospitality and entertaining. And it almost sounds like, you know, people that like to keep a messy house, they just like to call that hospitality. They're like, oh, we're not entertaining (laughs) you. Come into our messy house. But I I guess for you, kind of go with that wherever you want. But why why is mealtime so important? Because a lot of us just treat it as, hey, we need calories in order to burn to make energy. You know, why is that so important for, you know, gospel liturgies or just the habits of the household? Yeah, yeah. And it's such a great place to dive into the the key claim of the book is that the, the, the ordinary times are the extraordinary times. The mundane stuff is where really spiritual stuff is happening, and that's dinner time. So before, in in our previous life, dinner time was negotiable. Like if I had a lot of work to do, or if I had an emergency client call, or a partner told me stay late, you know, I did it, and we just like, you know, we moved dinner, we just eat on the fly, or any of that stuff. And what I realized was that happened because of that is that we were treating food like fuel. You know, it's just something as long as you load up on the calories, you're good, or and th- you also see this in our culture, or you treat it like fashion. Um, you know, you're Instagramming it, or you're, but mm-hmm. but neither of those are what food really is. Food in the story of God is is meant, and you see this all throughout the Bible, to to bring a spiritual sense of communion between people. Sometimes it's between God and us, and our thankfulness that that we can eat to live. But many times it's between each other. And when you think about all that's happening at a family dinner, like should you actually say this? We eat dinner together as a family. You have to change so many things. I mean, you have to adjust your schedule to get to get to dinner table. You have to do all this planning and prep. Somebody's got to buy the groceries. Somebody's got to plan it. Somebody's got to cook it. And even if it's a simple meal, you, you probably know this with a one and a half year old. And I certainly know this with the, my boys between three and nine. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like our dinner tables are much more like WWE wrestling matches than they are like a nice family dinner. But, but amidst all this chaos, and there's a lot of it, what? At dinner, we're learning to pray together. You know, when we talk at dinner, we're learning how to tell stories to each other, to narrate our life and what happened. We, we tell good things that happened, bad things that happened. We learn how to say sorry because somebody is always snatching somebody from somebody else at our dinner table. Like they're always taking food. We learn how to praise someone who served us and say thank you for what you cooked. Um, there are all these like intangible and wonderful spiritual things that are happening at the table and that's where I'm like, if you look through what I call the liturgical lens, as we talked about earlier, habits or liturgies, there is so much spirituality and relationship being taught at the table. And it's just, it's the, such a good uh, groundwork to lay for your kids. So that's, that's a good example of where spiritual stuff is happening. And it's happening when you invite guests over too, but I can, I can leave that for the next conversation. Well, I think that's the thing that's important as well is, I, I didn't mention this from the top, but you talk about each one of these habits as forming a certain grouping. So some of these habits are for forming parents, right? Some are for forming yes, families, right. which is mealtimes, but right after families, you get into discipline, which is forming children. But again, I think people, not that discipline is not important. I think it's maybe more important than anything else that's on the list, but we look at discipline and we, we try to be, you know, forthright. We try to, you know, those are the things that we think about later. Did I discipline correctly? Was I too harsh? Was I not harsh enough? And then yeah. we forget about the mundane. We forget about the the meal times yeah, and how that right. is chaos right. and how that's maybe descriptive of what we're going towards. But the thing that I know a lot of parents uh, that's on the tips of their minds and things that they're concerned about is what you talk about with the fourth habit and that's screen time. And so that's for forming children. Yes. So this is a slightly lengthy quote, but I think it's, it's really important for me to kind of set the stage. So let me read this quote from your screen okay. time chapter. Consider the stakes for a moment. 
If we do not teach our kids about sex, screens will be happy to do it for us. If we do not teach them categories of good and evil, then screens will be happy to obscure all of them. If we do not teach them that God made them who they are on purpose, man or woman and black or white, then screens will be happy to confuse their understanding of all these things. If we do not teach them that buying things will not make them happy and that consumption always leaves you hungrier, then screens will teach them that being a consumer is the way to status and satisfaction. If we do not teach them that the world the world of nature is ferocious and fantastic, something to be stewarded and stunned by, then the world of screens will teach them that looks uh, teach them that looking at pictures of nature is enough. If we do not teach them that silence is a sacred place where God speaks to us, then screens will make sure they never ever discover it. If we do not teach them that vulnerable and embodied friendship is the heart of a good life, then screens will relentlessly nudge them towards connecting and liking their way to endemic loneliness. And so I thought that was a very good summary of what parents are trying to avoid when they're, when they're trying to take away screen time for this reason or for that reason. And again, to bring my own family into this, you know, I did a bunch of research on Cocoa Melon the other day because I'm like, I don't want him to be addicted to YouTube potato chips and like, yeah. you know, him not be able to concentrate when he's 15 right. because we, right. we, we put him in front of the screen uh, for Cocoa Melon too long and we seared his brain. But why is this such a hard sticking point? Because there's the obvious answer. You know, we all have phones. We all have devices around us. That's the obvious answer. But why is screen time have to be one of the top 10 things a parent needs to reckon with if they're going to form their family? Because probably the most important factor in our discipleship to Jesus is how we use screens. Probably. I'm going to say for 99% of the listeners right now, that one of the most probably the most important factor in how they walk with Jesus is how they use screens. And that's going to be true for our kids. And I, I really step on it now because I think we're in a generation who has the chance to understand that screens really do change everything about life. Because I don't know that our parents realized it, and I certainly don't think their parents realized it. In the advent of radio to TV to internet, it was just like a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And many, I don't know if you guys, like many of my, the parents and elders we see in my life, I don't think they have the, the understanding that, you know, this cable news stuff, like it's changing you. This TV mm-hmm. stuff, it's changing you. And I think we, because of the rush of the smartphone in the past decade, we have the memory to be like, wait, this is massively different. Like the internet is massively changing us. So screens form us. They form our kids. And just like you read, I I like that passage too, so I'm glad you read it. Yeah. <laughs> They change everything about how we view the world. So I am not a Luddite. I'm on screens all the time for my job. I'm on screen right now. I, I, I post about my book online. My kids engage with the, the internet through heavy supervision for me. But so I'm not against screens at all. I'm really, really big on curating screens. And that just means picking content on purpose and carefully. Because if you don't curate your screen time and your kids' screen time, then the 5,000 people behind the screen being paid wild sums of money will program your brain into oblivion and they will curate your life. So we get to curate screens or screens will curate us. It's, it's, a, it's a clear choice. So we should, we should pick. I think the hard thing for a lot of parents is they feel the pressure from their kid that the kid is feeling from other kids. 
So it's easy for me right now because a one and a half year old doesn't really have a lot of use for a, for a smartphone, you know, in terms right. of connecting with their friends or connecting really with anything. But, you know, I do have some friends that have given their kids smartphones in elementary school, as well as friends that are like, my kid's not going to get a phone until they're 16 and they need it because they're driving right, somewhere and right. need help. And they're not going to be on social media until we're out mm-hmm. of the house. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of debate on both of those sides of the issue that I think are extreme. But for me personally, I feel like it is all not child abuse because that's hyperbolic. But when you hand a kid an unlocked iPhone, yes, yes, but then tell them every now and then, Hey, by the way, don't look at titties. Like, you yeah. know, it's just like, wh- what are you doing? Like yeah. you give them a PlayStation or an Xbox with fully unlocked access to the internet. You allow them to have a television and a laptop in their room with full access. I feel like you're, you're literally setting yourself up. Like, am I being crazy? Cause it's like, I don't have to deal with these problems yet, but I'm so terrified of what screens are even going to be, you know, five, six, seven years from now for yeah. my kids. Yeah, I I don't think the, the your comparison to child abuse is that hyperbolic. It's certainly child neglect. I mean, it is it is inc- and look, this this happened to me. I don't blame my parents, but my my dad never talked to me about what porn was. Mm-hmm. He he never told me, "Hey, you got to watch out there on the internet." Cuz I don't even think he knew the internet, you know, at the time. We're both learning at the same time, so of course I find my way to some pictures. And and you know, and when he did catch me, um there wasn't a huge conversation that followed. It was just like an idea that like, hey, you know, you probably know you shouldn't look at this, right? I, I, like, I'm talking to my sons about it when they're three. Like, hey, there's, there's, you know, I'm starting the conversations early, tastefully, but early. I mean, I'm trying to tell them that uh, technology, like sex, like money, like power, some of the best and the worst things in the world. Yeah, I mean, sex is so powerful. That's why it'll make or break you. I think technology is so powerful. That's why it it will make or break you. So I'm just, we've got to like talk to our kids early, teach them how to use it. I keep telling parents, one of the most important things you will do for your child is teach them how to engage with technology or not. That will send them onto enormously different paths in life. And so it's just, it's another, parents know the paradigm. It's not like a surprise paradigm. It's just intentionality. It's just actually parenting. I mean, you know, if your kid is sitting at home, like after the 10th bowl of ice cream, a parent's job is at some point is to be like, hey, enough is enough. Like we have the role of setting limits. When we don't do that, we abdicate our role as a parent. We need to set limits for technology because limits aren't bad. They're the path to the good life. Limits and rules keep us in the great, like the path of Jesus. And that is the kindest thing, the bravest thing and the best thing that we can ever do for our children. Well, I feel like parents have kind of bought into this artistic lie that if you limit your children, you're limiting their ability to flourish. But even oh talking to it yeah. to a straight up artist, it's like, well, the moment you picked a medium, you limited yourself because the moment you picked a size of canvas, there's only that much paint that you can put on the canvas. Once you've picked that instrument, there's only so many sounds that instrument can give you. And families have to understand and parents need to understand that kids need those same limits. Like putting limits yeah. on them isn't a hurtful thing. It's not a hateful thing. It's a loving thing. And so I don't know if this was on purpose, but you go straight from screen time. And then the next habit you talk about is family devotions. And so that's kind of about forming children. So very quick quote from that section, you say this, for many parents, there is nothing more intimidating than the idea of reading the Bible or praying together. The fear of how this will happen and what exactly will happen is what often keeps anything from happening at all. I feel like this is obviously something that you're talking to in terms of a Christian household because a secular household isn't going to have a family devotion. Like, what are they going to read? Like the latest Barack Obama book. But like, if you're talking to a family, like a a Christian family, 
I don't know very many Christian families, Justin, that do this. And that's terrifying because huh. I didn't have that modeled for me. I, I, we go to a church that is like very faith-filled and Bible-type church. But I mean, there's very few guys that would even mention the fact that they get together as a family to do these things. So your, your reaction to kind of how I frame this make, makes it sound like you're maybe a little bit surprised by that. But what do you see when you're talking with people in terms of why family devotions are so important or whether or not they're actually even doing it? Yeah, um, I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm surprised as much as like, man, it's so important. Uh, you know, I think our, if we're gonna raise our kids to follow Jesus, and I'll, I'll like talk specifically to dads here, I, our kids need to have a memory of hearing our our voice, what it's like for a man to pray, and what it, what it's like for a man to say, "Hey, I, I read the Bible, and when I read it, I read it this way." I mean, I, so I talk a lot about habits in this book, right? All the things that we do unconsciously. But this is, this is a foray into making conscious teaching moments where you actually lead your family in prayer a normal thing. Because you got to be conscious about it. Now, what I try to assuage people with is that it does not have to be complicated. So for all the dads out there who this might sound terrifying to, I, I, what I talk about in this chapter is... Uh, Short prayers, simple truths, just to sit down with your son or your daughter on the couch and say, I was reading this verse. It made me think about this. What do you think about it? Family devotion. I call that a family devotion. You don't need you don't need a, a devotional. It doesn't need to have flowers or print on it. It doesn't need to have the days on it. Uh, you don't you don't need a special guide. You can just say, hey, you just told me about your bad day. Can I pray with you or can I pray to get, you know, can we pray together? These moments of just small bits of intentionality of saying, let's talk about the Bible. Let's actually pray together. I think these are worth their weight in gold to our children. And I try to give people a lot of places to start, but it's not complicated. It's it's mostly just about the vulnerability to say, I'm going to say something to my kid and I'm going to say it on purpose. Well, and I think the other thing as well is the intimidating part is because parents don't want to give them something wrong. And if you're a parent that's, you know, maybe sensitive to theology and you mm-hmm. want to make sure you're giving them the right words and the right theology. I think that's, that's a thing that might keep you from doing this as well. Uh, Vody Bauckham, he's, he's known mainly for the book he released last year called fault lines, but he wrote a book a while ago, about 10 years ago called family shepherds. But he mm. talks about this. He talks about worship in the household. And this book is about that big. It's not very big, but it is dense. Yeah, it's like, good. I mean, it's a snowball that doesn't ever melt. Like that's how dense this book is. So shout out to Ryan, one of our supporters here in Oklahoma for turning me onto that book. But that's something that helps take the sting out of it in terms of they give you ideas. And as you've in your book have given ideas to people like this isn't about everybody put on your Sunday best for a Tuesday afternoon and we're yeah. going to gather around the table and do something that's absolutely perfect. It doesn't have to be so corporate. You know what I mean? Right. No, it doesn't have to be complicated. And, I, and I'll just say this. I'm, I care about my kids learning about technology. So I let them watch me use my phone. I talk to them about it. I care about my kids learning to manage money. So I talk to them about how to save, how to spend, how to give away. I care about my kids' bodies, so I make them come to the gym with me and watch me get exhausted, you know, like, and, and, and I care about following Jesus, so I make my kids sit down with me and watch me read the Bible and pray. It's just one more part of living the life of a father where you do what you do on display for and with your kids. It's, it, does, it shouldn't be that different, but, you know, if I'm the kind of guy who's like, hey, come to the gym and watch what it looks like to get in shape. But I'd never sit them down and say, hey, sit down and watch what it looks like to read a verse in the Bible and pick it apart and think about what God's saying. 
you know, something's wrong there, right? So it's just it's just one part of being a dad that everybody should just bring in and it doesn't have to be complicated. Well, I think the modeling part is very important because, you know, before we put sweet baby James down, our one and a half year old, um, we, we read a book and then I've started in the last few weeks before I was even turned on to your book to, I put his hands together and I say a little prayer and I put my, my mouth next to his yeah. ear and we do a very, very simple prayer. And then I lay him down and he goes to sleep. Well, yes. just even this week, I'll get to the end of the book. And as I'm putting the book up, he's putting his hands together. He's 18 <laughs> months old. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't have the foggiest idea what he's doing. And at that moment, I can't be like, well, you know, John Calvin would think this about this particular situation and yes. you're not actually holding your hands in the right angle. You know, it, it's not about all that. It's not about all these different rules. It's just teaching those things that are little by little, those habits, as you talk about a lot in your book. Um, the last habit that I want to talk about today, because again, I don't want to spoil the book for everybody else. You got to go out and get the book. You talk about marriage. That's the sixth yes. habit. Yes. And so that's the forming of parents, obviously. So right. very quick quote from that section. You say this, there's a strange paradox here. In date night, all the work of the household is ignored so we can focus on one thing that keeps the household working, marriage. Now, this isn't breaking news to anybody that's been alive for the past forever, but how many times do you see it where these successful young children they get all the way through school, they get national merit or they, they, they graduate with honors or they, they're all state football or whatever the situation is, they get to college. And then the moment the kids are off at college, the marriage falls apart. Right. That's what people think. They think it fell apart after the kids left. It's like, no, no, no. It fell apart a long time ago, yeah. but it didn't manifest publicly until yeah. the kids were out of the household. So many married couples completely forget about what is holding the glue that is holding the house yes. together. Why is that? Now, my personal belief is that that is Satan's, one of his biggest attacking points mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. in the church worldwide uh, writ large is marriage, because that's how we understand Jesus's love for us and a sacrifice uh, for us. That's kind of my, you know, gospel-y answer to that question yeah. or type of a yeah. thing. But why spend so much time focusing specifically on marriage? And then I guess, why do you feel like so many couples forget about that? Oh my gosh, there's a million different things I want to say here. But the in, in the story of the Bible, and I try to connect each of these habits to the story of the Bible. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding. You know, Adam and Eve are brought together in Genesis. Christ and his church are brought together and celebrated in Revelation. Marriage is central to the story of the Bible. Marriage is central to the family. You, you, I think it is a terrible fiction that we could talk about being good mothers and fathers without being good lovers, without being good husbands and wives, because our kids are learning a la the thesis of this book, our kids are learning so much from what we don't say, but from what we just do. You know, how we look at our wife, how we talk to her when we're impatient and tired, how she responds to us. They, they, they are forming like an imprint, like a baby duckling of, of what they're going to follow the rest of their life, what marriage looks like. And so um, we, we're living out the story of God in front of them as we live out marriage. And so it is just an incredibly spiritually important thing. But as you said, it's kind of one of the easiest things to forget about because kids come so, become so important. And it's one of the hardest things to do. And everybody knows that. Like marriage is hard. For no one is it easy to love somebody over the long haul of your life as you continue to get to know how sinful this person is. And that's true for my wife. That's true for me. One of my favorite lines um, in a great movie by directed by Richard Linklater is called Before, uh, Before Sunset. Uh, I think it's Ethan Hawke is the starring at it. He says to somebody, I feel like I'm running a daycare with a woman I used to date. And I heard that line. And I was like, oh, yeah, my God, that's brutal. Like, this is what a, a parent is going to feel like at some point. So my point in the, in the chapter is to say 
we've got to practice via small habits the most important things. The little things become the big things. And so just to practice loving your wife, practice continuing to date her, practice continuing to speak intentionally, to forgive, to keep your sex life alive and even at the forefront in these terribly difficult years of child rearing. That's the way like we keep the coals burning that keeps the fire of the family alive. And you neglect that, you neglect the foundation. I think it's really important because again, if you if you were to pitch to a husband, hey, uh, the odds of your kids having a healthy marriage down the road 20 years from now hinges on how you treat your spouse today. I think we might think about that a little right, bit more right, because we don't right. normally think in those terms. We think about, well, she's not doing this for me and things would be better if I had done that or you know, yeah. whatever scenario you paint in your head. So I think that's always a good, important reminder. So that kind of wraps up the, the habits in terms of our conversation today. But just as a reminder, the 10 habits that you point out in the book, waking, meal times, discipline, screen time, family devotions, marriage, work, play, conversation, and bedtime. And guys, we literally just scratched the surface on, on the ones oh, yeah. that we went into oh, yeah. and didn't even go into the others. But in interest of time, we got to kind of move on. But one thing I like to do, Justin, towards the end of my interviews, I do a segment called, what would you say to someone that said, and then I'm going to fill in the blank and you get 30 seconds or less to give me an answer, whether it's about a big topic Ooh. or a small topic. All right, this is okay. lightning round here, okay? okay? So it is just straight up meat and potatoes. So you up for it? I'm ready. So I'm going to get a couple of these, and I just got to go. Oh, you're going to get a bunch of these. All right, but they're just going to be rapid fire, one right after the other. You got to give me the legit answer right off the top of the dome. All right, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, warm up. Let's go. Let's, Let's do this. Do All right, Let's first go, one, yeah. first one. What would you say to someone that said, Justin's books make me feel bad because they show me how much I'm failing? <laughs> I would say the gospel does the same thing. The point is to realize how messed up we are so that we can realize how much God loves us anyway. And my thesis in all these books is your habits will not change God's love for you, but God's love for you can and should change your habits. Well, you hit the mark because I felt terrible after I finished your last book. So uh, let's just kind of keep moving on from here. So what would you say to someone that said, I don't need to worry about my relationship with my wife and kids nearly as much as I need to worry about providing for them? Oh my gosh. That's a very manly I, thing to say. A lot of a lot of men I've heard actually say something close to that. So go ahead. Uh, wealth and provision is part of the good life that we are created for, but it is not a sufficient for the whole. Our kids need to learn to love. They need to learn how to emotionally relate. They need to see love on display with your wife. There is so much more than providing. They need to know who you are and see you love God. All right. So you're doing great with these lightning round questions. What were you nervous for? We already went into this one a little bit, so you already cheated. So what would you say to someone that said, I can be a good father to my children without being a good husband to my wife? Yeah. Jesus is is a good husband to the church. We cannot be like Jesus when we're treating our wives like trash. We cannot teach. And, and let me just drill down more. You, you're not teaching your child to be a man when he doesn't see a man actually loving a woman. You're teaching him to act like a boy. You're teaching him to become a boy in a man's body. And a boy in a man's body is one of the most dangerous things that we can set loose in the world. So yeah, be, a, be a man and love your wife in front of them. Yeah, you're teaching him to be a fully grown-up infant is kind of how that yes. works out. Yes. Next one here, what would you say to someone that said, I don't have time to play with my kids. That's what their friends are for. You're these are all these, things I've heard. These, these are all these things I've heard. Making, these people are making me mad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your kids need to know what your, you know, the whiskers on your face feel like. They, they, they need to know that you, that you have an imagination 
uh, they need to know that there is more to life than working hard, that there is Sabbath rest and play. And if you don't teach them how to play, then someone else is going to teach them it. And it's probably not going to be playing with the right things. It's going to be playing with fire or playing with sex or playing with something else. Your, your kids need to see you enjoy so they can learn what true joy looks like. All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, my wife just isn't on board with developing these new habits? I'd say that's hard and it takes two. And I and I sympathize with you. And, and I bet there's going to be a lot of wives who say, my husband's not on board with this. But the best thing that anybody can do in that situation is just live the example gently and but, but put it on display. It this is not the kind of thing your wife is going to get mad at you for doing. It's the kind of thing that she's going to thank you for years later and, and vice all right. versa to all the women who are listening here. Yeah. Well, see, they're not here right now. And so I can kind of pit them as the negative person yeah. in this uh, scenario. <laughs> so, you know, I'll have to deal with that one later. Just a few more left here. What would you say to someone that said forming these habits will be so time consuming? We just don't have the capacity to add more tasks to our plate right now. Yes. I, I would say forming these habits is hard. Anything that's good and healthy for you is hard, but it will not complicate your life. It will simplify your life. The, the hard, stressful, burdensome thing to do is what you are doing now, and that is nothing. Doing these moves you to a simpler life. Just like Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Adding on these habits is meant to help you, is meant to simplify your life. And this was a big thesis in my book, The Common Rule. So people should go to that if they want to think more about that. Guys, that is in the show notes. Just a couple more. What would you say to someone that said, screens are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. <laughs> I love this game. Uh, <laughs> I'd agree with you. Satan is the enemy. Uh, Satan uses things that are so good, like sex, like money like power and twist them just a little bit to make them so bad. And screens are good. Technology is good. It is like we're cultivating and, and redeeming the world in some way when we invent stuff like this. But the enemy can use the realm of screens like, wow, to create un unparalleled destruction. So I'd say you're right. Satan's the enemy. Watch how he uses the weapons of screen because he'll do some judo there. All right. Last question. And maybe the most important question of the day. What would you say to someone that said some kids just suck? I would say uh, I'm one of those kids. We are all <laughs> the, the story of the gospel is that we are all messed up failures who suck. But Jesus is the good father who loves us anyway. And I think about the best things that my uh, dad ever did is that he stuck with me and loved me when I was the biggest ass, the biggest jerk, the biggest, oh my gosh, I was just such a, I had times where I was such a screw up in high school. And those were the times where he stuck with me. He looked at me and he said in some way or another, God loves you anyway, and I love you anyway. Keep walking. That's the, the that is the way we act like Jesus to our children. That's great, man. I, that's a great place to leave it on. But that is all for me. I'm, I'm so appreciative of all the times and uh, or all the time you've given us and all the stuff we've gone into. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we go? I just, I just want to do another one of these lightning rounds sometime soon. That was fun. <laughs> we can make that happen because I have plenty more questions ready to go. And I always like to make the people I'm talking to a little bit uncomfortable, but you did pretty okay with it. But anything else you want to add for the audience? No, I would just say your, your habits form who you are and that forms who your kids are. So pay attention and parent them well.
All right, Justin Whitmill Early, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, Kyle. This was awesome. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Justin. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness, specifically by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the links I've got for you today is I've got a link to Justin's website. I've also got a link to both of his books. Uh, you can go to the website for those books. It's Habits of the Household and The Common Rule. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, Cash, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook, and you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.